It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The film has been watched. Let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the newest Bengals, Irv Smith, Orlando Brown Jr., and Nick Scott. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by Mike at Bengals underscore Sands Santagata to talk about some film takeaways on the newest Bengals. You can find us on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can hit the subscribe button on YouTube, hit the bell if you'd like, so you get notified when we upload our shows every day. And if you're listening, you can follow us anywhere you get your podcast and join that first listen club with the thousands of others of Bengals fans that use what they hear on Lockdown Bengals to be the smartest person when their office talks Cincinnati Bengals. And today we're going to dive into some film takeaways as Mike, of course, has watched the film on all these guys. I've watched the film on a lot of these guys as well, some of it with Mike. And we're going to talk Irv Smith first. Orlando Brown second and Nick Scott third and Orlando Brown surely the biggest signing for the Bengals in this free agency period but we love recency bias here in the media world and so we start with the most recent move and Mike let's start with your thousand foot view of Irv Smith the Bengals newest tight end before we dive into some details and some differences that he brings from Hayden Hurst yeah I mean a little similar to Hurst. He's a better receiver than he is a blocker. Doesn't drop too many passes, although he had the huge drop against the Eagles. I think that just buried into people's memories. And um, really athletic. I know he didn't – his RAS is red, whatever. We're five years into the guy's career. I think we can just <laughs> look at him and be like, yeah, I, I don't know the testing, whatever happened there. But he looks more – he looks better. He's a smooth mover. He can threaten defenses vertically. And uh, he does some stuff as a blocker that's good, and I'm sure we'll get into the other stuff. He's obviously when he tested, by the way, he was young, so maybe that's it. Yeah. And he's just faster, stronger, more athletic, all of those things. But is it fair to call him an ascending player? Like, could you see the the picture based on what you saw in film where this year could be the best year of his career, and he could fit well in this Bengals offense? Yeah, easily, really, uh, because one of the things I don't think he's been good at his career has been releasing at either the first or second level. He gets jammed up. When guys get a hand on him, they keep it on there. He doesn't protect his chest. That's something that comes with time usually. I know Michael Mayer is awesome at it, but that's why I think Michael Mayer is going to step into the league as a good receiver. So it takes time. Maybe the, maybe the Minnesota tight end coach couldn't get through to him. Maybe the Bengals guy can. I mean, I feel like Hurst did a fine job. James with Casey's year. a heck of a tight ends coach. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, shout out James Casey. If, uh, but if you can fix that, then Irv becomes an even better receiver. You're looking at a guy that really hasn't produced a ton. A little bit disappointing there, I guess, for being a second round pick. But he be- gets a better release. You can work that athleticism. He's in an offense that's going to throw the ball. And I mean, at least, at least as of right now, he's going to be the number one tight end. 
unless something happens at 28. Uh, so he's going to have opportunities. He's probably going to have more opportunities than he had in Minnesota. So there's plenty of reason to think that he comes in and he's ascending because he's 24 years old. I think he's probably close to 25. I haven't double-checked that. But, yeah, he's he's an ascending player, I think, and this was a good signing because of that. Let Troy Walters get his hands on Irv Smith as well yeah. because once you get out into your routes – Speaking of Ursuth, once he gets out into his routes, I mean, some of the, the, the breaks in and out of his cuts it, when, when route running does look very receiver-esque. That's what I think you're talking about when you talk about athleticism with Ur Smith. And in some ways, actually very reminiscent of Dalton Kincaid, who I've watched a lot of recently, so he's on my mind. But I, I think Kincaid struggles with getting rerouted downfield as well. He'll run into guys going vertically a little bit too often, like straight up just running into a safety or a corner or linebacker, whoever's on top of him, literally 20 yards downfield. And so I, I am interested to see if that part of his game can improve because as a route runner, in terms of getting separation, that's really impressive to me. There's a lot of refinement to me in the way Irv Smith runs routes, especially on inbreakers. I've, I've noticed like a lot of his highlights are coming on, in, on, on basics, on, on digs, on, on posts. But he also has the speed to threaten teams vertically. Maybe he doesn't have the height for some of those seam balls. 6'2", uh, James Casey, 6'3", by the way. So no no stranger to shorter tight ends. But uh, what, what do you think about him as – in terms of stylistic differences to Hurst as a receiver? Because to me, it's how they run their routes and, and how they win. Yeah, Irv, more of a smooth mover, more of a guy. They put him on this stucco route, which is going forward, and then you break out like it's stick, and then you slam the brakes and break back in. And uh, when he was able to do that to a couple linebackers, just looked really nice. That, that was a highlight real move. Uh, so I think there's definitely more smoothness to Irv's game. He is shorter. Hurst is a little taller. So Hurst, a bit more of the contested catch guy. I think that, not even routes, but that is what I think of Irv not great at that Hurst a little better at that um so i like the inbreaker comment because usually on your outbreakers and your comebacks and curls you're going to try to and you threaten the defense vertically like like he can do but when he hits top speed the one issue i have that i don't think gets fixed because i feel like this is kind of you know you have it or you don't he doesn't decelerate he doesn't slam the brakes that well it takes him a few more steps than it does like a great receiver type, but uh, that's why I think on those inbreakers a little better because you usually push into 12 yards and breaking mm -hmm. in while the outbreakers outside release. I really got, I'm, I'm showing a go route. I'm showing a go route, slam the brakes and turn around. Uh, there was a good one where it showed Justin Jefferson stopping and it's Justin Jefferson, but he stops on like one step and Irv's taken like seven. <laughs> to throw how, how, does, how does that compare to other tight ends though? Because that's something that I've noticed when watching tight ends for the draft is like a lot of these guys, are taking a lot of time to, to snap off vertical stuff and come back to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, most tight ends aren't that great at it. I mean, Kyle Pitts and, uh, well, my guy last year, yeah, the Greg Dulcich was good at it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, like there are guys that can do it, but it is a general concern for tight ends. Really the way I think he becomes an even better receiver other than just having the opportunity is that release stuff I was mentioning because that's mm -hmm. the refinement to his game that's just not there, and it could easily be added because that's a technical thing. You think of things you can add to somebody's game, you're going to think of – he just has to, you know, time up his chops better or, you know, add in a swipe release or something. Because, like, the movement ability is there. It's not like he can't move and he's just running into guys because, you know, he can't move side to side. He can do it. It's just he doesn't have the refinement to keep the hands of the karate moves. 
two things. First one on the vertical part of it. Do you think that would be the ideal thing from the, the Bengals tight end this season, given how defense has played them to try to take away those explosive plays? Because that was clearly something that they were lacking compared to 2021. Uh, I don't, I don't think it would be the thing. And I don't even know if Irv can do it that well, because the, really the one deep, deep target I saw, he dropped. And I'm, I mean, that could be a hamstring. could just be one issue. It could have been the bad just track. One play. Could have, yeah. yeah, just one play. So I'm, I'm not sure. They didn't really use him that way too much. But when you'd see him on a go route, he'd be pushing the corner. He'd make mm-hmm. the corner or the safety or the, well, sometimes the linebacker, if they're really athletic, turn and run and not, and like kind of have the, oh crap, like turn your back to the quarterback moment of like, this guy's not like, you know, if, if Drew Sample's running a go route, that corner's probably just backpedaling the whole way back there because uh, he's not pushing the same way. Back walking. So, yeah, back walking. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't know, but I Rude. do think that Hurst had some opportunities. Burrow didn't throw them, so it's not on him. But a couple opportunities on just uh, like those seam routes when they run their dagger concept, it felt like Burrow didn't look for it as much as he could have. And maybe you do with Hurst, the only, or with Irv, uh, Irv Smith. The only issue is just the height. That's the one thing is mm-hmm. he's in the middle of the field. And if you're going to throw him deeper targets, it's just you usually like that guy to be T. Higgins. You know, six foot yeah. four, not six foot two. Although six foot two is not not short. If you think of wide receivers, he'd be a fine size. For sure. And and then the other thing, and I think people look at that his size, six two, two forty, and they say there's no way he's gonna be able to block the way the Bengals want him to. How big of an issue do you think that's going to be if he's the Bengals starting tight end? Surprisingly good in space. If you can use him mostly in space, he'd be a plus blocker. They're going to ask him to block in line. And I think he's going to disappoint uh, for what is expected out of their tight end. He's not, you know, he's not Rob Gronkowski. He's, he's a guy that I think against average talent, he holds up. And I think he's mostly a survivor. He survives. He doesn't thrive when he's in line blocking. Uh, But it's just, I saw when he went against Cam Jordan and the Vikings would ask him solo block Cam Jordan on the backside of this play. Cam Jordan would beat him so bad he'd make the play on the front side. Mm-hmm. Or Brandon Graham did that a couple times. So there's just like against really stout run defenders, TJ Watt, guys they might see. Uh, I don't know if I would trust him to block that guy one on one. Although I've heard some people say you can't do that in general, but the Bengals do that on their duo concept and they're going to run duo. So I think there's going to be plays that you know you just kind of go, yeah, he's he's got short arms. He's he's kind of small. This makes sense. Maybe we don't run that this week or, you know, run it less or run it at Highsmith. Uh, I, I don't see him as a plus inline blocker, although I think he can show up in moments. He has a good ability, kind of like Michael Mayer, to combo and climb, hit a guy over, and then he's really good in space. I don't know if it's the athleticism, the tracking, whatever. He doesn't really get shook by linebackers trying to dip underneath him or anything. He latches on. That's next. Go ahead, James. Sorry, we'll switch gears. We'll talk about Orlando Brown Jr., the Bengals' biggest free agency signing, literally and figuratively, well, since I can remember. But today's show brought to you by Built Bar. The Built March Madness bracket is here, and we know you have a favorite bar or puff, so you need to get to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. And when you do vote, you're going to be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free box of built. Again, you got to go to builtmarchmadness.com and vote for your favorite bar or puff. And not only that, one locked on fan will get a 
free 12 month subscription to built and have built best bars or puffs delivered to them directly at your door for free for a year. So you want to get the number one protein bar on the planet? It's simple. Go to builtmarchmadness.com, pick up a box while you're there, and maybe you'll win a year supply of built bars. Again, that's builtmarchmadness.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Orlando Brown, the biggest in multiple ways, free agency signing for the Cincinnati Bengals in, I think, their history. I guess I would have to go look at how big Bobby Williams was. And I guess our, I guess Andre, Andre Smith might count. Mike, you're muted. And we're going to talk about Orlando Brown. Clearly some, some strengths and weaknesses on tape. You've talked about them over at allbengals.com. You've written about it. We, we watched them together. Let's, let's start as we did with Irv Smith, the 1,000-foot the view, 10,000-foot view, however high you'd like to go, talking about the, the big picture of Orlando Brown's game at left tackle. Unique player. He's very big. He's very long, and he's never had to try to maximize his technique. So he's not a great athlete, obviously. I mean, if he was a great athlete at 360 pounds, I mean, (laughs) that'd be insane. So, you know, he struggles a little bit with guys that can speed rush to the outside at times. Um, But as a – and I still think he's a good pass protector. I think he's at least, you know, above average to good as a pass protector. What he's going to bring them that's great – is his strength and his ability to move guys in the run game. Because most of the time, offensive linemen are looking for stalemates where they have good leverage. You know, I turn and the running back can run off my left side. I'm showing him a read. Orlando Brown will hit a guy, move him three yards, and then turn and create a (laughs) giant running lane. There's not a lot of offensive linemen that really are able to do that. That's a a high-level run blocker. So that's uh, the the far out view. How big of an upgrade is it? You've watched Jonah Williams closer than, than probably anyone, honestly, that we could ask outside of maybe Frank Pollock, the Bengals coaching staff. And so we know what the Bengals got with him, not just this past year, but when Jonah was, I thought pretty good in 2021, how big of an upgrade is Orlando Brown jr. Overall? I think he's a full tier upgrade at least, Um, you know, Jonah 2021, I think he's even better than that. And that was the best Jonah Williams that uh, we ever got. I think Jonah Williams is an average tackle for, I know this is a big debate. I think he's about an average starting tackle and Orlando Brown is a good starting tackle. So that's the upgrade is you didn't move to an elite guy. You didn't move to a top three left tackle. They had their chance with Teron Armstead, but you know, Armstead's old and injured. So I kind of understand the Bengals going for Orlando Brown instead the next year. I think he's a good I think he's a good starting tackle. I think he's firmly in the next range of guys after, you know, your elite guys and maybe a guy or two. It's right there. Right there, I would say I mean the conservative approach would be like top eight, top ten left tackle. I mean, I feel pretty good about that. Which is roughly what he's being paid to be, if you compare him to left tackles. If you compare him to all tackles, it's a little bit 
a little bit underpaid, probably, which the Bengals have to be feeling great about. Let's talk about him as a pass protector. You mentioned one of his big strengths as a run blocker, his ability to displace people. Talked about his length as well, his size. He is hard to get around. He also talked about his athleticism. He doesn't move all that well. He's not technically, in terms of his footwork, the cleanest that we have watched at tackle. But he makes a lot of that work most of the time. There are some clear issues. There are also some clear strengths. So tell me about what those pros and cons are for Orlando Brown in pass protection. And I think you can also get to what the Bengals can do to play to his strengths. Yeah, so you really have three ways to attack an offensive tackle. You think about it, go inside, through them, around the outside. And, you know, you can get a little more nuanced than that, but that's essentially what you're looking at. He does a great job against guys trying to go through him. I mean, he's 360 pounds. He's long. That's hard. Although Trey Hendrickson will try. He will and, and occasionally head. succeed. And occasionally succeed. Because like, Trey Hendrickson is very good. It's one of those, like, yeah, Trey Hendrickson's a really good player. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the next best thing he does is protect the inside. He usually does a good job of blocking inside out, staying inside of guys, and forcing them to try to go around the hoop. He struggles a little bit outside. And it's just he doesn't have the footwork or the athleticism to really get to a guy that's like in a wide nine alignment way out there and just trying to speed, bend and get around the outside. If that's all they're trying to do, he struggles a little bit because it's it's hard and he's never he has such a large um, margin for error because of his length and his size that most of the time he's fine. It's just. If you really threaten his athleticism and footwork, it does show up, and it is something that's been lacking his whole career, and I, I don't think it's really going to change. We're pretty far into his career now, and he's still a good tackle, even considering all that. You mentioned the the run game. Let, let's shift to that. I think one of the things that the Bengals could do last year, you run behind Kappa and Lyle Collins, when Collins was feeling pretty good. Do you think that the the tandem of Cordell Volson and Orlando Brown Jr. can be better on that left side from a run-blocking standpoint where you can get the push that you're looking for for Israel, Abanacanda, or, or whoever the Bengals draft at running back. Yeah, I think Zach Charbonnet will enjoy some nice holes on the left side. Why are you guys <laughs> mispronouncing Roshan Johnson so much? I, honestly, I, I, uh, I thought I'm he thinking Broncos. I'm thinking Jameer Gibbs would look pretty good in stripes right now behind the anyway, boundary. Yeah, he's going to move guys. He's going to move guys. <laughs> and Volson, Volson's going to love him because he's going to hit guys on a double team with Volson and knock them over. And Volson's job is going to be like, okay, I take two steps and I'm good. <laughs> All I have to do is just hold this position. I can even give up a yard. Uh, so I think Volson's going to love that. Uh, I think, yeah, just because I don't know who the right tackle is going to be. If it is, man, the way I could see the right side being better, because the right guard is going to be a better run blocker, is I don't think if Jonah Williams and Alex Cap will be better than Orlando Brown and Cordell Volson though, at, run, at run blocking. Wow. Okay. About equal, maybe. Uh, depends what Jonah you get. If 2021 Jonah, maybe that is better. But that was one year. And I think we are I'm, – I'm not projecting that one year anymore as, like, his big growing moment. Um if it's Lyle Collins, I don't know. Like if you're getting Collins last year, no, that the left side's better. But if you're getting something closer to Dallas Collins, then that right side is going to be really good run blocking. 
It's going to be better than it was last year for sure, though. I think he's just more powerful. He's just going to make movement. He's going to make big, dramatic wins on that left side. And I think that could lead to a little more explosive in the run game because you're creating Ooh. bigger holes and letting that running back get an opportunity to go right at the safety. Bijan Robinson, going to love it. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs had a very specific strategy to help Orlando Brown that I know you wrote about as well, Mike. Can you talk about that really quickly and, and how detrimental it would be to provide that sort of help on an ongoing basis versus how beneficial it was because it worked for the Chiefs and they won a Super Bowl with Orlando Brown at left tackle, obviously. Yeah, so they didn't give him full-on chips that often, you know, wasting the tight end's route and everything, but they line up a tight end next to him. And what that does is it usually just slows down that rush. And the other times, if they didn't line up a tight end next to him, you got your running back to the opposite side, tight end chips and helps Wiley. On the other side, the running back isn't chipping. He's just running tight off of Orlando Brown, off off of the left side. And that's also going to slow down that pass rusher. Because what you want to do, the only thing that's beating Brown really is this speed rush around the outside, right? So you funnel him in, you slow down that get off, you make him, you're not going upfield in your first, like in your th- first three steps, you're going to have to stop and try to beat him to the inside or through him. And we're not going to waste guys really in the route either, because that's what those chips will kind of do. They kind of waste those guys. Meanwhile, this you're getting into your route. It's just, I'm going to, you know, give a tiny bit of help to Orlando Brown and really maximize him because I, they weren't doing this really early in the year and they kind of picked it up. And that's when he started taking off as a better player last year. Uh, that, so yeah, I, I would add some of that. The detrimental thing is, you know, who is the right tackle? Because if he needs a lot of help, you might need to put the tight end and the running back on that side. <laughs> Just like a tight end gets in his way. Running back gets a little late chip. <laughs> right tackle's doing great. <laughs> he got two chips on that play. Uh, but if you can spare because you've you've only got so much help resource management here. If you can spare a guy to just not chip, but just come right off of him or be right outside of him and just slow down that edge rusher, just slow him down. That's all you need to do. You don't need to chip him. He can block perfectly fine. It's just play to his strengths. Make that guy try to go through or inside of him rather than allowing him to try to beat Orlando Brown in a race. You've also got a big stylistic difference with Joe Burrow playing quarterback compared to Patrick Mahomes in terms of trying to extend plays. And we'll see if Joe Burrow does a little bit more of that, perhaps if the offensive line improves. But to finish up the show coming up next, we're going to get into Nick Scott, who will be expected to start at safety for the Bengals in 2023. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. So let's say Bengal Sands wants to get in on the action, much like you do. Well, he's going to be able to get a no sweat first bet to where if he loses, he's going to get that bet back and get a mulligan, all with FanDuel. And it's a safe app. It's easy to use. It's completely secure. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. And don't miss your chance at that no sweat first bet up to $1,000. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. 
Let's talk Nick Scott, guys. Same question yeah. for Nick Scott as we discussed for Orlando Brown. Number three, by the way. He's he's wearing number three. A lot of people have asked about that because T. Higgins is switching his number to five, and you have the one with Chase. Nick Scott is part of the 513 connection. He has, and then there's a new area code coming to Cincinnati. Which yeah, it's an eight something. Tyler Boyd is 283, oh. I want to say. Which is McPherson, and then boy. Anyway, let's get back to Nick Scott wearing number three for the Bengals, who will be starting at safety. Same question: thousand high level view, thousand foot high yeah, level. Yeah, two view. eight three. Ah, uh, that sucks. I'm never changing my number <laughs> of but. Nick Scott, please, Mike. Okay. Um, yeah, Nick Scott. I think he will throw his body and around the field. He will give everything to make big hits. He destroyed Debo on one hit in the NFC championship game. And you can really make the case. It turned the game around for the Rams, or at least it, you know, if you believe in momentum, I, I do. I mean, I know it can't be quantified, but if you believe in momentum, that hit, it kind of, I'm not gonna say it fully turned the ship around, but you know, just like the Von Bell hit in the Steelers game, kind of like, a Oh, <laughs> you know, like a, that was a, you know, big hit. And the offense gets a little bit of energy when they get out there, third down stop. So he makes huge hits. He will throw his body into those, even though he's a little undersized. He, I think he is pretty smart. I think, you know, he typically is in the right spot. He comes off the roof of the defense really well. I think that is something that's going to be added. That's something that Jesse Bates did actually pretty well. Um, and I feel like he does a good job of, you know, matching guys. He's almost like the jack of all trades. He's, he's good at just about everything, but is he Jesse Bates rangy? No. Does he have range? Yeah. But I wouldn't put him single high like he's Earl Thomas. I would just, you know, on occasion, he's got more range than Von Bell, and he might have more range than Dax Hill just because he's been in the league a while and knows what he's, you know, where he's going, how to read the quarterback's intentions. So that that is the thousand-foot view, I guess, would be willing to hit good run defender from the roof of the defense and a solid coverage guy. Uh, the weaknesses really are he will miss tackles, it, not an elite athlete, even though he may have tested like that. I, I think there's just a little bit to that. And the last one just being that I feel like quarterbacks at times could manipulate him a little bit, but he hasn't started that long. So maybe that's an experience thing. How does he fit with Dax Hill? I think he fits pretty well with Dax Hill because you got two versatile pieces. You clearly, I think, would use Dax Hill as your, you know, your man coverage guy, your slot mm -hmm. defender at times, you know, bring him down and cover a tight end type thing. And then Scott, he could play single high pretty well. I, like I said, I wouldn't use him like Earl Thomas, but if you want to, what the Bengals have had to do when they get to their cover one, man underneath, one deep safety, is typically have Von Bell or Jesse Bates, you know, come down and play robber, cross, lurk, whatever, instead of allowing Logan Wilson to do that because they didn't trust Von Bell as much in man coverage on tight ends. I think now you've got, you know, you've got Dax Hill, put him on man coverage on the tight end, let Logan Wilson play vision, which he's really good at, drop back, read the quarterback, get interceptions like he's like he does, and uh, let Nick Scott play over the top in single high. So I, I think he's a guy that you can use that can really maximize Dax Hill. You know, he's not a full-on box safety, but he can defend the run well, and I think he does well enough as a coverage player to allow, you know, allow Dax to do whatever you want with him, like the queen on the chessboard. He moves wherever. You think – you mentioned versatile. I did not get that 
impression personally. I, I felt like the Rams mostly used him, and especially in the game we watched, I guess. That was a bad example. It was a Chiefs game. He was playing high the whole game in that game. But he also played further from the line of scrimmage than Taylor Rapp in that Rams defense more often than not. Is it a projection to say that he can come be a box safety? I think he's a stylistically very different player from Von Bell in that sense, where if, if you're trying to project, and I know you're not doing this, Sans, but if you, the listener, you're trying to say, okay, yeah, they drafted Dax Hill in the first round. He's going to replace a higher value safety in Jesse Bates, and they, they signed a, a cheaper veteran. He's going to replace the other cheaper veteran uh, in terms of value in Von Bell. That doesn't necessarily seem like the case to me. I guess when I say versatile, I don't mean I'm going to line him up over the nickel in the box and deep. What I'm saying is that he could play any coverage. Uh, you could gotcha. use him to fit any coverage scheme you want and allow Dax Hill to be the really, I, I guess versatile might be the wrong word, but you know he's a, he's a solid coverage guy. You can use him in coverage however you want and allow Hill to do anything. You know, man coverage, zone coverage, blitz, whatever, because you can trust Scott to do everything else. I don't think either Hill or Scott are like a great box safety type. I mm-hmm. feel like if you're the Bengals and you want to maximize them, Scott comes off the roof of the defense really well. I wouldn't trust him to take on blocks from guards and tackles. I would trust him to come off the roof and make a play at six yards. So I feel like this seems like a transition to even more too high coverage yeah. stuff and you are going to allow the safeties to come down and play the run when they read run rather than having a safety in the box playing as like a pseudo linebacker. And, and maybe there's the linebacker staying on the field a little bit more too, right? Like maybe this is a Jermaine Pratt decision to some degree where if you're not bringing Trey Flowers onto the field to cover a tight end, you're rotating Dax Hill down, you're keeping Jermaine Pratt on the field instead, or maybe it's Akeem Davis-Gaither, but uh, I think I agree with you there. It seems like a move toward too high and Nick Scott generally playing high with Dax Hill being the piece that moves around a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I mean because not every safety that is listed as like versatile can play single high, you know, even Von Bell, yeah. they had him do it a lot. He was fine at it, but it's not where you want to put him very often with Scott. You could put him back there fairly often i just wouldn't you know i wouldn't try to play just a seattle cover three all the time because Mm -hmm. then you might get taken advantage of eventually but you allow hill to do whatever you want because with Bates, it felt like you know you want to push him single high do you want to push dax hill single high a lot that's not what he did in college he's got the athleticism to do it and i think you'll do it at times but i wouldn't do it all the time because what he was really good in college is playing middle intermediate middle or man coverage on the slot i think when the Bengals signed scott a lot of fans looked at it and said, man, no Von Bell, no Jesse Bates. Dax Hill is an unproven now second-year player and a guy, Nick Scott, who most people hadn't heard of. Let's fast forward and just assume the Bengals you know, are playing the Bills in the playoffs again or Mahomes and are dealing with these elite quarterbacks. How concerned would you be about this safety tandem going into a, a, a pass-happy type matchup like that? There's definitely some projection there. I would not be like terrified or anything. I feel like you should feel pretty fine. Will they be Von Bell, Jesse Bates? No. I mean, that's really hard. That was to me, maybe the best second best safety duo in the league, like a little bit spoiled. If you think you're going to get that same exact thing the next season for a guy making $4 million and a rookie or mm-hmm. second year guy. So that's just tough from that aspect. I wouldn't be that concerned. I, I think 
that Scott can be moved a little bit by, you know, elite quarterbacks that kind of deceive with the eyes, the upfield shoulder, you know, taking the hand off the ball like they're going to throw and get him to jump some routes. You might give up something that way. That's not a consistent way to live. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. holding the ball for three and a half, four seconds and to manipulate that safety like that. Um, so I would feel pretty fine about it. I'd, I wouldn't be overly concerned. I think there's like, I feel like Scott is at least going to be a fine safety. And I feel like Dax Hill, why wouldn't I believe he would be a fine safety? And now you're looking at at least neither guy is a liability. I think they're both starting level safeties. I think they are both going to be perfectly fine to, and with a lot of potential to be better than that because Scott hasn't played that much. He's a seventh round draft pick who had to work his way up into the lineup, mm-hmm. basically in a Rams playoff run to the Super Bowl. And Dax Hill, obviously oozing potential. We haven't seen him do anything. <laughs> it's all potential, but I yeah. feel like, uh, yeah, th- those two, it might, I think it might look better at the end than it does at the start. Sure. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. New 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 duo back there playing together for the first time. Have to figure out the communication that Von Bell and Jesse Bates had three years to hone and refine over their tenures in Cincinnati. They also get way more athletic. Both guys, top-tier athletes in terms of athletic testing. Shows up more, I think, for Dax Hill on tape. Uh, although I do think Nick Scott also looks like a good athlete, certainly, but you see what you can unlock there and potentially gets you ready to move into the future unless the NFL is truly going to go back to power running 12, 12 personnel. And then the Bengals need to be ready to counterpunch, but that's why you keep Jermaine Pratt. And now you can have three linebackers with him and, and Akeem Davis Gaither and Logan Wilson this year for the teams that are trying to get ahead of the curve there and punish those two high safety looks. James, did you want to add something? No. No, I'm good to go. I to jump in. I no, I agree. I agree. It would be Akeem Davis Gaither time, which I thought it might have been anyway. That's what we all season. thought. Yeah. And, and instead, it's it's the Pratt Wilson show with ADG. You know, at some point, mixing it in. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. You can find Mike, of course, at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. And it's always game day in Cincinnati. He has some good draft content out there. You can check out. You can also find him at allbengals.com, of course, where he has write ups on all these guys that we discussed today. If you want to see some video clips to go with some of what we talked about, Mike's got those in the articles at allbengals.com. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Until next time, who day and have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.